Malcolm Honeline is, of course, with us. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. I appreciate that. Nice to speak with you. And there's so much to talk about. First of all, any update on these fires around Yerushalayim? Do we know if they're under control at this point or not? I've not heard uh, the update. They did spring up uh, several fires, and uh, it's not unusual for this time, but right. it's always very dangerous because, uh, you know, when it's dry and, and uh, the forests are very susceptible to, and and unfortunately, often when there are fires that, are, that start naturally, they are followed by uh, arsonists. Yeah, and that in itself becomes a whole security issue, as we've seen in the past. Uh, all right, we'll be watching that, of course. This coming, we just had a Yom Aliyah discussion, which is today, uh, which is pretty amazing, frankly, if you think about it in the context of Jewish history. This coming week is Balfour Day. Uh, we discussed uh, to what degree Jews both in Israel and around the world are going to be commemorating it. Obviously, we'll focus on it here uh, to some degree as we get closer. And then on Thursday itself, which is November the 2nd, 2017, 100 years from the Balfour Declaration. Uh, any thoughts about uh, how important it is for we as parents and grandparents to share all this information, whether it be over Shabbos or during this coming week with our children? It, it can't be more important. And we have new polling that uh, we just received in the last days, which uh, show very disturbing uh, results regarding our children. And that means children getting education in a wide variety of institutions and uh Every parent who will see it uh, will be, you know, will say it's not my child, when in fact it's everyone's children. They do not know, which makes them vulnerable to the lies, distortions, and misrepresentations. And very few parents take the time, and I believe many are not capable themselves of really detailing the history, talking to their kids about how we got to the point where we are, who the people were, um, the names that were associated with it. The results are, are 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 really quite shocking. Although we have seen this pattern emerging for for some time, One and, of, I'm sorry. and and we have to we have to take it seriously because it is reflected also in the fact that in in uh, another study that was done, it shows that the biggest drop in support in between the two studies, one this over the past year, one that we did years ago. Uh, very in-depth studies, that the biggest drop in support right now is amongst young Jews. Oh, boy. Support for Israel. Um, I uh, I mean, we, we mentioned earlier that the uh, uh, it, one of the problems, I think, is, and this is there's nothing we can do about this, I think it's human nature, is that it's hard to get the younger generation into context of what life was like back then and how legitimate it was to deny Jews the right to a homeland. And that that was the atmosphere that this declaration was made a hundred years ago, and and how few people uh, supported it. Although right. there were people like Ham Fish, Congressman Hamilton Fish, whose uh, son and grandson have been involved in political life in Westchester, um, was he introduced a resolution which was called the American Balfour Resolution, as he told me. Uh, it actually followed by several years, but it was an important statement as well. And you know that there have been declarations by presidents of the United States going back to the founding of the state talking about the creation of the Jewish state, uh, Jewish homeland, to use different terminology. 
they had very biblical views and backgrounds and uh, and we know that uh, after the the Balfour declaration and the reasons people should read why it came to place who was Lord Balfour and uh, what the reaction, but he also called for the creation of a Palestinian state right. in, in his declaration. Is um, is 100 this coming Thursday going to be commemorated by the British government? Yes, actually there's going to be a, a big dinner in London, which will be attended by the Prime Minister, May. Wow. And there are going to be uh, a whole series of other events. I, I, I met with some of the leaders of British Jewry and they we're very proud of uh, of this, and and you know there, there were those who called, like Corbyn, not to celebrate, and who some who who decried the Balfour Declaration. So the the commemoration in the presence of the Prime Minister, and she made a very strong statement as of others, um, is uh, is particularly important. Oh, very cool. Uh, and both Israel and I guess in the diaspora, the event or the anniversary will be recognized. I, I was curious; we were discussing it earlier. Uh, during the show, you know, whether, I don't know how important it is in Israel for it to be recognized. They're, they're living the miracle every single day. But I guess in both places, Israel and diaspora, there'll be a lot of different uh, presentations and ceremonies during the uh, during this week. It's very important because they take it for granted. And, and you know, people don't, in, in Israel as well, they don't know the history well enough, although they do study it. And I'm sure Balfour, you know, you, we all know where Balfour streets are and right. in, in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. But the the real context and appreciating how far Israel has come from that period um, is really enhances the story for Israelis and for Jews everywhere and for people everywhere. Yeah. All right, let me do a little bit of celebrating for a second. Uh, Israel has won eight medals at the European Paralympic Youth Games. Israel's Neely Block, who I believe is going to visit us in November uh, here in the studio, has won the Thai boxing title at the European Championships in Paris. And the Judo Federation, apparently an Israeli, won gold, but they did not play the national anthem of Israel. Could you explain what happened there? Well, it wasn't the Judo Federation. It was the government of the UAE in Dubai that did not permit, although it is required by uh, the rules of the Judo Federation, that uh, the national anthem, that all all participants be treated equally. And when they were playing the anthems for everybody else, but they refused it for the Israeli winner, and he instead got up and he sang the Hatikva <laughs> as he got his medal. And... Um, uh, what is this? has lodged a complaint with the UAE about it, and we'll have to see what the consequences. Well, what does this tell us about the UAE? Because sometimes you've told us that when public displays like this are discouraged, they're afraid of what certain other Arab states may say to them. Is that the, is that the case here? They could act independently and, and easily have done it without a problem. I mean, I think they could have done it because it's not their choice. It was, right. They can cite the rules of the of the. Uh, organization and it's the condition on which they got to host the uh, the competition. So there, there's no excuse for not allowing the, the symbolic raising the flag and the singing of the anthem. And uh, you know we have seen this before in the UAE and other places, other countries in the Middle East, where uh, if you remember the tennis uh, games right. years ago and yes. others, where we had similar uh, issues, but in the end they were all permitted to play and to to participate yeah malcolm you know when it comes to sports i pay attention you know that i see that <laughs> yeah that's that's one of the most serious parts of the news as far and, as I'm and i think you should be insulted there were no they didn't sing the hatikva at the world series either trust me trust me i noted that 
because uh, the best team wasn't in it. That's why. Uh, well, you would say the Phillies, but anyway, that's for another time. Uh, two more things before we get to Siri and some of the more serious. Well, I don't know. This is serious as well. I, Number one, um, Sutton Place Synagogue swastika this week. I know that certain uh, paraphernalia has been sent, anti-Semitic paraphernalia, to certain uh, Jewish businesses in the New York area. I mean, I, we stress this often during holiday time, Pesach, and, of course, during the Tishrei holidays. Um, I, I mean, it's it's an important reminder, not that I'm encouraging this behavior, frankly. It's an important reminder, though. There are a lot of people out there quite unhappy uh, with uh, with the fact that we exist. And uh, for those who are not taking security at their public locations seriously, schools, synagogues, etc., it is a good time, even when it's not the high holidays, to consider it. And to get in touch with SCAN, that's S-E-N, the Secure Community Network Operation, which will help uh, guide organizations improving their security institutions, that for schools to undertake what they do in Britain, and that is to have parents volunteer or be asked to do one day of guard duty for each child, that means it's no cost to the school, minimal intrusion for the families, That they, because parents will know who belongs and who doesn't belong. There are pictures of the guys who carried out the attack. They were, they were picked up on camera, so I hope that they will be apprehended. Oh, in the, in the Manhattan one? I didn't realize yes. that. Oh, good. And, uh, uh, you know, it, we don't know if it's haphazard. We don't know if it was planned, what the motivation uh, for different people undertaking these things, but it, it is certainly increasing. And we have to be honest and uh, face it and ensure assure that our uh, law enforcement and others, and I think the NYPD does take this seriously, uh, but certainly elected officials and on every level we have to make sure. You know, we had the 30th state, 31st state, I think, but Maryland adopted uh, anti-boycott legislation. But it's important because this is also anti-Semitism. Right. Right. You know, when you target a single state, the Jewish state alone, you think of all the countries violating human rights, etc. When you see the Human Rights Council sing out Israel for these horrific uh, blacklisting, 130 companies and uh, already named mostly in Israel, and I think 60 foreign countries, uh, companies, uh, for what? Because they provide food, they provide essentials to, to people living in a particular geographic area. The the we we should see the pattern and not dismiss these developments. It's not panic. Uh, there's no reason for you know any kind of exaggerated response, but a real a reality check. And as you said, every institution has to think about what its responsibilities are to its constituents and to its members and to the children who use those facilities. It's a different era, and, and it's not likely to, to diminish, as we see with all the yeah. tensions in society. I'm glad I brought this up, because I didn't realize that there was follow-up with the police department. I bet you there are institutions that, that discourage one another sometimes from reporting these. You would encourage everybody, no matter what's happened to the front door of your institution, make sure to let the cops know about it. You know, and they have to know, and the importance of cameras. Right. And, and frankly, every home should have cameras uh, today. And uh, it's often, you know, just some neighbor picking up a camera, picking up the picture. If even if the, the direct uh, place that was attacked didn't didn't uh, get it, or they were able to bypass it, uh, this is a it's a very important security tool today. And finally, before just indulge me one more before we get to the international um, uh, topics, I, I know there are people, especially in this audience, who are upset with the court decision regarding Shabbos openings in Tel Aviv. I'm I'm sure that there are some people who are annoyed by it. Uh, but but I just I I, I just want to I I want to reiterate something we've said in the past, and that is that it is possible that there might be a better uh, strategy of how to deal with our brethren 
who may not understand the sanctity of the Sabbath day uh, than than some of the reaction that have that has uh, happened in the past. And instead of uh, instead of uh, expressing in very loud voices opposition, it might there might be better methods to bring people to understand just how important the day is. Well, first of all, I think that we will see legislative initiatives to to address it. Second, this was a ruling of the Supreme Court. It was not a government decision. And uh, it was based on on the principle that the authority was used of the local municipality of the city of Tel Aviv was uh, usurped by the, the government in the decisions that they made. So, you know, there are legal bases that could be based just upon fine points. But uh, I think maintaining the sanctity of, of Shabbos is is uh, very important, yep. and hopefully this can be resolved um, quickly without the kind of, of reaction that only causes negative backlash and negative effect. Very good, and a lot of strife, unfortunately. All right, um, now that we know that uh, it's been established that the Syrian attack in April was a chemical attack, does it matter? And I say it like that because I don't even think I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, any type of UN condemnation at this point, any type of follow-up with, with the possibility of sanctions, etc. It seems like just a, a news item that just passed us by. Well, the, the news item, it was not the, the fact that, the, that it was the Syrians who did it and, and that it was a chemical attack. I think that was pretty well established and accepted. That's why the United States, uh, President Trump, launched the missiles. And um, uh, the, the, it, what happened this time now is that there was a special commission that was authorized by the Security Council of the United Nations to investigate serious activities. Its mandate was pretty strong. Uh, they were in the process of drawing the conclusions, obviously leading them in a direction which showed that Syria was indeed responsible, the Syrian government that is indeed responsible for the chemical uh, attack, and still supposedly there are uh, stockpiles in Syria, but it was the Russians who vetoed the investigation, the resolution that would have authorized maintaining the mandate. So that was what the action this week was. It wasn't a new discovery regarding so yeah, much but, the attack but, but, as but, it was about how the follow-up was. Yeah, but it seemed from a news item that it became official, that the, you know, with all the speculation, and yes, there was American reaction, as you described, but that it actually was 100% clear. And Russia, I guess, in this case, is protecting their friend. And, and well, they want to keep us out of power, and right. this is uh, directed at that. Um, and uh, so, so nothing. There, it, this is not going to have an effect on how international relations with Syria uh, progress. Uh, any any reaction or retaliation or punishment has already been you know given out essentially for that attack. Unless they continue, unless there's evidence of continued use, or they the, and the stockpiles are discovered, etc. But the the action that was taken really curtails the further investigation uh, by the United Nations right. and, uh, you know, will, will help sweep, try to sweep this under the rug, although the public exposure uh, has been achieved. That's not the, the only thing. When we look at, w- at what's happening in, in Syria with the uh, militias, with the, uh, the attacks by ISIS, you know, Israel hit t- and killed supposedly 10 ISIS, supposedly uh, ISIS guys, uh, uh, who, they're located in East Arab, which is along the border of Israel uh, near the Golan. And so while ISIS has been greatly reduced, their presence there is very is very scary. They killed supposedly 128 civilians in one place, Karyat, in, in um, uh, that ISIS. So they're still active. They still have thousands of foreign fighters in Iran and Iraq and Syria. In fact, there were stories about the numbers that have come back. 
uh, and the inability of law enforcement really to 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 maintain control. I know from Russia, France, I think they said 800 from Tunisia, Saudi Arabia, others who, who some 5,000 or more who have returned home already, and we know that there are uh, thousands more. And I think the 5,600 is the number of those who are still in Syria, uh, and about a thousand who have identified as as uh, having come home. So this is. You know, people think that the ISIS, because they lost the territory, the fact is that they're going back to their original state, which is a terrorist organization that doesn't need uh, so much territory as it needs to just to be able to continue to operate through their weapons and their terrorist activities. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and the beloved NSN app, big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. You want to print out thousands of articles regarding Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos and read them at your leisure. It's a good place to start, jewishworldreview.com. And a big thank you to our friends at onlysimchas.com. In addition to all the great Simcha news, they are reporting on a whole bunch of interesting news stories from around the Jewish world, including a lot of stuff that we're featuring uh, here at JMNAM on a daily basis. So check them out every single day and be inspired at onlysimchas.com. You know, as, I, as time goes by, I, occasionally I try to simplify uh, based on the things you tell us each and every week, some of the situations, if, if Syria, if Assad was no longer in Syria, however it would happen, because there are people, of course, you know, who've been demanding his ouster for God knows how long, and many people don't understand how the U.S. tolerates his continued, uh, you know, rule over there. But if he would be gone, essentially Iran would have the ability to take over that area? Or, or that's too simple a statement? If Assad is gone, uh, and, and you know the Russians and the Iranians, others are not going to let that happen unless right. it could be by natural causes or right. assassination, other things could right. take place. So there is no immediate successor, and you could have a further breakdown uh, that we see already with the tribalism, with the you know the divisions, creating cantons, you know, for each of the various groups that make up the Syrian population who do not really have a Syrian identity. Uh, he wants, they're most concerned about the Alawite area. It's important to the Russians because it's where their bases are and sustaining control over that. But the Iranians, uh, as uh, your question implies, have a, a unique ability today to be a dominant force there because they have fifty to 60,000 militiamen, uh, plus Hezbollah. Hezbollah announced that they're going to pull out of Syria in 2018 because they want to reorganize against Israel. And so they want to go home and, and uh, to Lebanon, though we'll see whether that really takes place. Um, but the, the, the presence of, of Iran is, is so clear in, in, uh, throughout the area, and especially their attempts to get near the border uh, of Israel, but also to control the border crossings uh, to Iraq. Right. The, and they need it for their transnational highway, maybe railroad, going to the, all the way to the Mediterranean. And the goal for hegemony in the region, they are not going to stop short of, of as long as that they have uh, control. And that's one of the reasons why the Kurds uh, are being opposed the way they are. And the Iranians boasting that they stopped the second Israel, and of course link the Kurds with Israel, attack it very uh, severely, uh, not only because of the Kurdish population in Iran, but because they want to be sure that they can control both of those areas in Iraq and in Syria. It's where the oil is, it's where the, it's very important for the Iraqi government, uh, they feel. So they are, are really committed, and you know, they are expanding their efforts all the time. Uh, I have to note uh, just something I saw where the Iranians were boasting about the humanitarian efforts that they gave free education to 370,000 foreign students. These are high school, maybe younger, um, from where? 
from Afghanistan. Wow. And what do you think they're going to be trained <laughs> in? What a kind of, this is just preparing that they have the fodder to send into battle, that these will be indoctrinated, they will be radicalized, as they have taken Afghan soldiers now and put them in Syria so that they fight the front line, not Iranian troops. They're smart, otherwise they would have grown up as American allies. Army? They're smart, otherwise they would have grown up as American allies. Well, they could have been American allies, or they could have been radicalized by the Taliban. Right. There are a lot of options. But here they're going to indoctrinate them in their Shiite, radical Shiite uh, ideology. And, uh, you know, Iran plans for the future. It is looking to sustain its control no matter uh, what. And so the Syrian, the options in Syria are very limited when you have Russia and Iran in collusion as we have seen even in recent days. And the, um, uh, the, if the United States and our allies don't make a more concerted effort to protect yeah. the borders, which America is trying to do, and to try to block this transnational highway and to limit the areas that will fall into control of uh, Iranian-backed militias, uh, we're going to see uh, Iran's exaggerated role enshrined yeah. in Syria. It's not even exaggerating. The numbers are so large. You know, I, I wonder what God has in mind because, you know, I, I know Rabin Biad Ma'atim and we've seen a lot of miracles in Jewish history, but these numbers are becoming staggering when you think about it. Well, what is good is this week is I saw the some uh, polling that was done in my neutral outfit and it showed the American people get it. Two-thirds say that Iran is not in compliance. Uh, 85% of Republicans... 71% of independents and 57% of Democrats feel that the, uh, that, the, that the deal should be renegotiated and, and Congress should do more to verify the compliance by Iran with the act. But uh, overall, two-thirds feel that the deal was bad for the U.S., now, it doesn't mean they want to scrap it. It means that they would like to see it changed and, and uh, move. And when you see votes in the House uh, yeah. that are so overwhelming, you but, know, with a minority, a handful of people in opposition to the bills that were introduced, the sanction IRGC, the sanction the Iranians, the sanction the, the ballistic missile program. But is that going to discourage them from pursuing the long-range ballistic missiles? Pardon me? Is that going to discourage them from pursuing the long-range ballistic missiles, the sanctions? Well, the sanctions discourage them because it's, it, it impacts their economy, which is very vulnerable. And companies that uh, want to sell stuff to, to their, nucle- to their um, uh, ballistic missile program or to conventional weapons, let alone those involved in nuclear, which is already under sanction, are going to think twice if it means that, A, they're going to face prosecution, and B, that they can do business with the United States and hopefully with the Europeans, at least some of the Europeans as well. So, you know, these things do have an impact, and Iran certainly takes them seriously. You know, they try to dismiss them and make fun of it, but in fact, it, it, they do matter, and they do have an impact. I always wonder about the um, congressional impact, because it, it, it usually always comes down to, you know, what's the President of the United States deciding to do? Well, first of all, he has to let it become law. I think he will. I think that President Trump supports this. And he did kick the ball to Congress when he decertified. Right. So Congress is now mandated to, to come up in, in a short period of time with the meaningful legislative initiatives that should target Iran for all of both the conventional and non-conventional uh, areas, non-conventional obviously being the nuclear, and the um, and make sure that there are, are teeth and that they work with our allies who do want to see the conventional, at least, uh, restrictions upgraded. Macron has talked about it, others, and they talked about uh, renegotiating the Sunset Clause in particular, which means that, you know, that when the deal ends, right. uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it self-liquidates, essentially, and it's a very short period of time, and 
people want it to be on forever. The Iranians say we're not going to negotiate. Uh, we'll have to see whether the, whether the people will come to the plate and really stand up. You published this week that I today actually that Iron Dome is moving north in Israel. So, so number one, that's scary, obviously, because it seems obvious. Obviously, they're preparing for something. Uh, but secondly, it, it wasn't up there yet. I mean, until this point, you know, Israel never knew uh, when they could expect. Uh, not not that they should take their military advice from me, frankly. But Israel never knew when to expect a rocket attack up north. Is it just this week that they're making this move? No, no. The, 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 this is part of. Um, general preparation, there is expectation, there is concern about a conflict breaking out in the North. They already have a name, they call it the War of the North, but um, uh, I think that it's it's precautionary and preventative, and that they want Hezbollah to see that they are, are, are enhancing their capacity there. But, uh, you know, the incident that we saw this week with the missiles that were launched into Israel, Israel's very strong response to it, they're holding and Hezbollah responsible. They hold the Syrian government responsible, the Syrian army, and uh, and when necessary Hezbollah, they certainly try to hit any attempts to bring the weapons to to Hezbollah. But as they see the situation uh, maturing in in uh, Syria, with the uh, presence near the border, the the enshrining of the Hezbollah uh, Shiite militia uh, uh, and other Iranian forces. There, they have to take it very seriously. They've done a lot in terms of creating new methods of intelligence collection. They have uh, new kinds of drones. They have new kinds of uh, equipment being brought up uh, to the northern border and obviously creating uh, physical barriers as much as possible. But they know that there's an underground city there. There are 100,000-plus missiles. You know, it's not to be dismissed. I do not believe that Hezbollah wants a war right now. I think that they, that's why they talk about 2018, perhaps, to put it off. But there, there have been military people in Israel who have warned that uh, that it could heat up there. Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman said the Golan shelling was carried out by a Syrian cell on Hezbollah's orders without Damascus having been informed. Yeah, they, that's what they, they contend that this was uh, their own decision. And... Uh, that's why Israel will hit back at, at whoever is responsible. But they say, look, the Syrian army is responsible for the area. The uh, They hit rocket launchers uh, of the Syrians firing, for, by the way, from planes uh, over Lebanon, because you do have the Russian defense systems in place in, in Syria. So Israel has to be very careful about how it's used. And uh, in this case, I think that there was no prior uh, consultation or permission sought by Israel. They went right after it because four of the missiles landed pretty deep, and especially when they determined that it was deliberate, not a, a haphazard, you know, errant fire of some conflict, because there was no conflict going on in the region. What do you think of the uh, Prime Minister um, immunity rule not passing, and uh, immunity bill not passing in the Knesset? I would think if it would pass somewhere, it would be in a place where everyone thinks they're going to be Prime Minister one day. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to answer. That's but, so uh, funny. <laughs> But I think it's because public opinion, you know, would not be right. very supportive of it. You don't want to create a cover-up. It's and, still hilarious. Uh, but I'm not sure it would. I think it would only apply to the next prime minister or the next election. I don't. Well, that's what that. I mean. Yeah. I don't think you can make laws because they all uh, think they're they all they all think they're going to be the next prime minister. Well, they can rescind it by then. You know. So. <laughs>
That's true. <laughs> and speaking of, of immunity, it seems that the submarine deal, the one that you know was one of the three scandals uh, uh, involving Prime Minister Netanyahu, is going through, right, the German sale. They're buying three submarines that will be delivered, I think it's in about a decade. So it's a, it's a long-term purchase. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that these are the same. That that was not clear. Oh, really? Were these are additional, or were these the, the same in the original? Yeah, uh, I think I read they were the original. Purchase. I think I read the original. I think it's the original, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to watch on these topic of Israeli politics. It's interesting to watch the Labor Party. Apparently, Avi Gabay is a little too uh, Avi Gabay, I think is the right pronunciation, is right. A, is a little too right wing for the Labor Party. Um, actually, defending the right of Jews to be in Judea and Samaria and things like that. Yes, and you've seen several statements by different political leaders, paid uh, others, um, being supportive and and, and uh, taking positions because they're reading the, the Israeli public, and if they think that elections might be imminent. They want to carve out a broader constituency uh, for themselves, and the uh, and and this is one of the areas uh, where they can do it. Uh, the settlement boycott equaling the Israeli boycott. The New York Times article I'm referencing again that you have in the Daily Alert is. I mean, is it ever possible? to separate, or I should say, to combine the two and get public opinion to understand that if you're just like, if you're anti-Zionism, you're anti-Semitic, as we've pointed out many times, uh, and, you know, they hide behind the anti-Israel banner. Uh, if you're anti-settlement, essentially, you are anti-Israel. Well, you can have a difference of policy. Everybody acknowledges and says uh, this mantra that you can differ over policies, you can say where you think the border should be, what they should do with settlements, but that there's a difference between that and singling out one country to be held to unrealistic standards and to criticize them and subject them to, like the Human Rights Council, to the, a boycott, which can have broader ramifications. A hundred companies get a letter from from the high commissioner and says that if you do business, you know, and nobody wants to be investigated. Everybody says, look, it's easier just uh, not to do business. Right. Right. And uh, and and you don't see them doing it about a Catalan. You don't see them doing it about Western Sahara or, or any other place where there is a disputed a dispute going on. So that 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 is really the distinction. People can have their own views and and political differences and assessments of where what should be. In the, and even in the settlers' movement, you have differences of, of views over it. But. The, it's the fundamental principles that we see being violated. When a guy at Rutgers can publish the kind of anti-Semitic stuff, and he's not driven out tarred and feathered on the first day, and I don't mean physically assaulted, I mean that he'd be forced out, that there not be, uh, when it's so blatant and so horrific, the state, the university did issue a strong statement, but and is supposedly investigating. But what do you investigate when you see the cartoons, the depictions, the statements that he's made over a period of time? Had he done it on a, on a racial basis, other things, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even be able to see the dust as how fast he would be kicked out of there. And, uh, you know, we have to target, be specific, uh, and that's why the legislative initiatives are, are so important. Uh, and again, I think as the poll on Iran shows, the American people are getting it. We see tourism soaring. I think it's up 22% this year. It's going to be a record. They may even pass for the first time the 3 million visitors mark, wow. which is a real milestone. And, you know, that another thing that occurred to me was, you know, that, that this uh, week in the Negev, 
there was joint exercises of Jordan, Palestinian Authority, and Israeli first responders, uh, uh, medics, uh, fire people, um, others, to, to, to save lives. And they said, we don't care what the distinctions or anything. This is to train people to shore coordination when it's necessary. If you have a huge forest fire, you have something, you know, some natural disaster, some, something else happens. But nobody in the press will ever publish that and, and talk about it, even though some of the Europeans helped to support it. And the, you know, there's the, the, still the, the problem. So that when you have guys promoting and you think that he's been at Rutgers for decades and has a long history of this kind of vicious anti-Semitic um, attitudes and, and, and pronouncements and now trying to cover it or to whitewash it, got to be really hard and fast about it. There can be no accommodating this kind of thing. This is not a question of whether there's a word or a nuance or something else. This is so blatant, and it will send an important message. University administrations have to. We have to send it to faculty. There has to be an outcry, as there, were, as there would have been if it had been a depiction of some other minority in, in such horrific ways. And by the way, this audience is packed with Rutgers alum. They think... I, I know exactly, yeah. and you have a lot of listeners, even students who go to Rutgers yeah. now, yeah. and uh, alum who have made contributions should really insist now that action beyond just the, the statement, which was a strong one, uh, against him be taken. What happens, by the way, toward the beginning of your answer with the corporations and companies, what happens with those close to 200 Israeli uh, companies and international corporations who are on the quote-unquote UN blacklist? Are they... Are they going to be investigated? Is this is this symbolic? What is it? Well, it's not symbolic because they're talking about sanctions, and it's it's only a first step. They they were sent a letter warning them that they are, and they're supposed to answer and explain, you know, whether they do or do not do business in the shnachim. And uh, but ultimately, it could lead. Even the very fact that they that their names are published as a list right. will put them uh, put them on notice. And but if a company, a cor- international corporation gets a letter and says, you know, you are going to investigate you, you're subject to, to you know, s- certain sanctions or whatever, believe me, it makes a difference. So we hope that they will, the companies will reject it. We, we are still working to make sure that this thing doesn't go further. But Prince Zaid, the, the um, high commissioner of the Human Rights Council, seems hell-bent on, on pursuing this. And I have to tell you that Arab leaders with whom we raised it we're very critical of him for, for this. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a bad precedent. Listen, you know, that it can happen. And But uh, Zayd used to be a friend. Uh, you know, he's a cousin of the king right. of Jordan. And, uh, frankly, we're baffled by what happened to him. Lech Lecha tomorrow. Pretty amazing. The uh, love that he quickly developed, meaning Abraham, our father for the land of Israel, huh? We should all have that kind of feeling for the land of Israel. And if we want to call ourselves the children of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, you have to look at their love for the land, yep. the sacrifice for the land, what they did, create a permanent record, and the, the, we should be inspired by it. The story of uh, uh, in Hebron and everywhere else, uh, with um, Rifki Meno too coming up, that that the biblical connection reminds us of our responsibility today. Yeah, no it's question. not historic commemoration. 
Nope. And Balfour Declaration that you're in Blah Abdul is also an important thing, not because just of what happened 100 years ago and the importance of understanding the history, understanding what the struggle that went through, what uh, what had occurred in the opposition that was later mounted uh, against it, and uh, the, the opposition, even within some circles that later became more friendly right. at the time, were not sympathetic and supportive of it. Um, that, that people, and we teach our kids about it, to understand that you not take it for granted. Because yeah. when you take it for granted, it can be taken away. Very important words. Next time we speak, the Balfour Declaration will be over 100 years old. Malcolm, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Pleasure. time. Good we'll job. Speak next week. Malcolm Online is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here on JM in the AM.